So we're actually going to get started. It's a little after 2 now, 2.02. Uh, we're going to get started. I know some folks have, are just getting back from their lunch, um, but uh, we're going to start off uh, with a word of prayer, and um, I'll go over the agenda with you, and uh, yeah, we'll take it from there. So um, actually, I'll just share very quickly as I was praying about today, um, so as we're bringing this into our prayer, I was looking at Isaiah 61. And um, just in, in the spirit of restoration, as I looked through Isaiah 61, um, I'm going to skip down. It says here in 61.3, it says, To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. And it says here that they will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago, and they will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to just um, spend some time talking about the restoration that you are bringing forth in each of us to those that need it so much to survivors of human trafficking, to those that are at risk for human trafficking, to the children of the survivors of human trafficking, to the families of the survivors of human trafficking, to the weeping mothers, to the brokenhearted fathers, to the grandmothers that are searching for their children, their grandbabies. God, I thank you that you've given us insight and wisdom that this is not just happening to one person, but to your daughter or to your son and to their entire family. And God, you've broken our heart for what breaks yours. And so God, we stand here, we sit here, we operate, we move as you've called us. I pray that everything that we say would penetrate hearts and that people that are coming would know that they have been given a gift. They've been given insight. And they've been given a call to go and be a blessing to these. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in for a treat today. Um, I'm super excited about it. First of all, I'm Vanessa Russell. I'm the founder and executive director of Love Never Fails. Um, I am uh, representing the Infinity Network, uh, Anti-Human Trafficking Infinity Network. I want to give just a shout out to Sue Spousta, who's in the back of the room, who is our leader, um, who has just been rallying a whole bunch of um, not anti-human trafficking agencies across the nation uh, just rallying us to step out and to work together. There are about, Sue, there's about eight of us, is that right? About eight? And, um, and it's grown, and so we're just so grateful for you, Sue. Um, and just to tell you a little bit about our agenda for today, so um, uh, I'm going to share a little bit about how I got started in, in this fight against human trafficking and um, as will Nita Bells. Uh, Nita Bells is the founder and executive director of In Our Backyard. I'm going to read her bio in just a second, but we're going to talk a little bit about that um, and so that you know that you have some nonprofits, some, some non-government agencies, some faith-based organizations that are 
um, willing to come alongside you and partner with you. Um, but the focus of today is really to talk about how to pastor and restore survivors of human trafficking. And so I'm super excited to have uh, my husband here with me today, Pastor Timothy Russell, who is going to talk about how he has been pastoring the women and the children and the families that we serve that have come into our houses uh, in, uh, in California. And we hope that this will be some insight that you can take back to your churches or back to your communities as you th- maybe go and talk to your senior pastors, or maybe you are a pastor there that is looking to implement some of these best practices and also learn from our mistakes. So, um, so we're going to hear, uh, now from Nita. Um, she's going, we're going to be looking at a video, um, that she has prepared for us. And just to tell you a little bit, we thought it would be good to front end this with this video, just so you can understand that there's an awful lot going on and there's, there's a variety of ways that you can get involved. Uh, also, you know, talking to your pastor, your senior pastor, by all means about how you can activate him and the whole church, but uh, him or her in the whole church, but also, um, there are things that you can do in your community. And so we'll, we're going to see another best practice that in our backyard is implemented. And let me just tell you a little bit about Nita. Nita is the executive director of in our backyard. She is an author, a speaker, and a leading national expert in the anti-human traffic movement. In her 12 years of dedication to this issue, she worked from rescue to restoration. She collaborates with top law enforcement, government officials, legislators, medical community, social services, faith communities, and survivors as the key to creating comprehensive, lasting change. And her work has been featured on CNN, Fox Files, Focus on the Family, USA Today, and others. Nita's nonprofit um, uh, includes freedom stickers in all 50 states. It's an awareness program. She does advocacy, legal advisory, and she is very active in the Super Bowl. She's been very active in advocating around the Super Bowl for the last nine years. Um, Very compassionate heart and just committed to the people that she serves. So we're going to watch the movie now that she's prepared, and we'll come back. All right. This video um, is about freedom stickers, and some of you I know are from. Yeah, we may have to do that. Let me try it the other way. This is about freedom stickers. These are in all 50 states, as Vanessa said, uh, and they are. they're responsible for many people that have been recovered because of them, as you will see on the video. Let's see if that'll work. Okay, here we go. Are we getting started? Yeah, here we go. This film just won an international award, the Telly Awards.
so you can see what freedom stickers do and how they work. Um, freedom stickers were put together in 2011 out of my background in domestic violence. I'm a survivor from my first marriage, and so I knew that freedom stickers, uh, we used to use these little one-by-three cards that we'd put inside the restroom stalls, and um, a woman who was being abused could pick up one of those cards, stick it in their shoe, and go home and hide it in a drawer. When things got violent, they could call and ask for help. And um, with a victim of human trafficking, they are regularly moved and regularly strip-searched. You cannot give them anything like that. So uh, we developed uh, the Freedom Sticker because they go right inside the restroom stalls. They're in... Um, they have the National Human Trafficking Hotline on it, and they can call and get help or text and get help. We find that most victims of human trafficking are going to text and get help. Why are we showing this film today at a Foursquare convention? Because we are always looking for ways, uh, people are constantly looking for ways, especially churches, that they can get involved in the fight against human trafficking. This is something that anyone can do. Vanessa mentioned that we do work surrounding Super Bowl. Um, we have hundreds of people that come out a week and a day before Super Bowl, and we go out all over whatever the Super Bowl venue is. Last year it was Miami. This year it will be uh, – or last year it was uh, Atlanta. This year it would be Miami. We go out into convenience stores. We have a program called Convenience Stores Against Trafficking, and we go into the convenience stores, and we put these inside the restroom stalls. And we have documented cases of – people getting recovered and uh, getting services as a result. So this is something that your church can do. It will cost you nothing. We like to have a donation for the stickers and sending them to you, but we don't require it. You just go out to uh, your community and ask permission. We'll give you the whole kit. We'll give you a script that you can kind of go off of. And uh, your church can be a part of Freedom Stickers. You'll find them in um, airports, restaurants. In Oregon, we have two laws regarding these being posted because, as you saw in the film, it's the, uh, the hotline posting is the greatest. Um, having that done increases the chance of human trafficking arrests. So... Um, in our backyard.org slash freedom stickers is where you can go, and I can give you more information if you're interested, but if you can just remember in our backyard, you can uh, text and get uh, text or call or email, and uh, they will send those freedom stickers right out. Any questions on the freedom stickers? Yes. I have a yes. <laughs> Where was it? Um, it wasn't in Nebraska or Wyoming. It was in either Kansas or Wyoming. Oh, yeah. We just partnered with the Kansas Attorney General's office, and they they co-branded these with us. Yes. So I'll be your agent. Or parent awesome. We'll love having you. All right. Any other questions, comments? Yes.
Kosovo. It's not in Kosovo. The Canadian hotline just launched this morning. I watched their hotline launch, and they are going to do Freedom Stickers as well. We're working with them, but we are not in Kosovo. Sorry. Yeah. Any other questions, comments? All right. I'm going to hand this back to Vanessa. Thank you so much. And we're going to have Nita back to, we're going to ask her some more questions and have a little bit more of a panel discussion. So um, one of the things that we want to, let me just bring that back up in case people want to. Oh, no, I got it. Um, so that's just so that you can um, take pictures if you wanted to have our contact information. But um, so we, uh, we want to just um, kind of launch into this whole topic of how do we pastor survivors of human trafficking as part of the restorative process and this is this is a this is a real challenge and I, I will tell you um, just so I can kind of set my husband up for uh, uh, you know where he's going to take it um, I have been in this fight for the last seven this is the eighth year uh, the way that uh, Love Never Fails was founded is one of our 15-year-old dance students. We held, I held praise dance classes on Friday evenings uh, for at-risk youth in our community. And at the time, it was in San, San Leandro. And, um, and so these were children that were churched and unchurched coming to our dance classes. Um, and one of our 15-year-old dance students was raped in Hayward and then sold throughout California for a year. And um, I guess I was very naive, even though I have a background of poverty and abuse and, 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 and things. I should be aware, right, that this, this is happening. I was very naive that this was so prevalent for our young people to experience. And so as I began to look for my student, I realized there were a ton of girls out there and boys out there that were on, you know, street corners that were being sold online and they were very clearly children. And that disturbed me to no end. And so that's why I started Love Never Fails. And since that time, we've housed over 100 women and 20 children. And that is an 18-month housing program. We've also um, provided them more than housing. We've provided them um, workforce development, which we think is so important when we talk about restoration, not just giving people a bed, but giving them the opportunity to provide for themselves, to be fully restored. Um, one of our young ladies is getting married in a couple of months. Another one of our young ladies is a licensed real estate agent. Another one of our young ladies is a Cisco network engineer. Um, we have people who have gone into the banking industry. We have people who are um, cleaning our church. They, they love to clean. We have people that are in the AV department in our church. They're in our tech program, which is called IT Biz, and this is an internship slash job that they've picked up at our church in the AV department. So these are the kinds of things that we are putting our hands on um, and are assigned to my husband and I. And so I just thought it would be good to front end um, his, his coming in and sharing a little bit as a pastor um, because um, I've been off busy doing the housing thing and whatnot, but there is there is a, a certain anointing that is resting on our house to be able to minister to that many people in that way. And so I'd like to call up Pastor Timothy Russell to share a little bit with you. I had his um, his bio. He said, "Don't don't read my bio." 
But I'll just tell you a little bit because I think it's important for you to know that um, he's not only a pastor of uh, New Hope Christian Fellowship in Hayward, uh, but he is also a director of an entrepreneurship program in the community. And um, I think that gives him a particular insight about the importance of restoration of incorporating business in in the in what he's doing as well. So I don't know if he's going to talk about that today, but I just thought I'd mention it. <laughs> I'm glad everybody's here. Um, you know, I'm, I'm glad to be a part of this and glad to share as a pastor. How many pastors do we have in the room? Just want to good, good. And and, and I'm just going to going to be very honest with you that you know I, I I was raised in a denomination that it was all about deliverance at the altar. Jesus, how how you going to deal with this, Jesus? How you going to come out, Jesus? I mean, and there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, everything was Jesus or you were going to hell. I mean, I was going to hell about everything. You didn't take out the garbage, you're going to hell. You know, yeah. You didn't make up your bed, you're going to hell. I mean, everything was Jesus or hell. I mean, it was just one or the other. So, and so I, I love the fact that, that I was raised with that understanding that Jesus can fix anything. He is the healer. He is the redeemer. He is, you know, when we talk about beauty for ashes, he's the one that gives the beauty for ashes. And when we talk about an oil of joy for a sorrow, he's the one that gives the oil of joy for sorrow. When we talk about a garment of praise for heaviness, that's Jesus. But I had to come to a reality when I married my wife. My wife's very, she believes in Jesus. I don't want you to get, don't get that wrong. She believes in Jesus. But she also has a clinical background. I have zero clinical background. My clinical background is Jesus. <laughs> Take him once in the morning, once in the afternoon, and once in the evening. You're going to be all right. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what I was raised with. It was Jesus. And so we... And I'm going to just be honest. We clashed. We clashed at first when because she was saying they need this and they need that. I'm like, they need Jesus. Get him at the altar. Come on, let's get out, lay hands on them. You know, some of them need let's just slap them with oil. I mean, she's like, no, they need some resources and they need help and 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 she took me out on a on a night where she went out and where they were rescuing women from the streets and my eyes were wide open you know and I had a bunch of Jesus in me but my eyes were like whoa <laughs> so I realized that I needed to get an understanding the Bible said in all that getting get an understanding so I needed to get an understanding without Letting go of my faith of Jesus. I know who Jesus is and I know what he's done for me. And you know what? What I appreciate is she didn't push it down my throat. We had some hard conversations, some challenging conversations. So I, I, I don't want you to shy away from those kinds of conversations. Don't say, okay, don't. And if you don't get it, say, I don't get it. You know what? If you got to bring in pastors and we're, we're blessed to have about you know, um, 16 pastors on our staff that, and they're smarter than me. They just know stuff that I don't know. And so I had to surround myself with people that can help me understand stuff that I just don't know. But one thing with my wife is I opened my heart up. That's what I had to do. I opened my heart up and I opened my mind up to hear the resources, to hear some of the challenges 
and I shut my mouth to Jesus. No, but but Jesus, but Je- even though I was sandal on the inside, all they need is Jesus, you know, which is okay. Let me hear you. And she started talking about some of the things that trigger them, some of the things that we're preaching that triggers them. Now, because what I was saying was, is that the reality is Jesus Christ is Lord. And he is, that's the reality. But I was preaching it in a way where I was almost telling them that stuff you went through, come on, focus in on Jesus. And what I was doing was I wasn't helping the process. So I had to sort of change my language. I had to understand the terminology that was acceptable and wasn't not acceptable because as, as pastors, we never want to offend. We never want to be in a place where we're offending anybody. What we want to do is bring them to Jesus. We want them to know that Jesus Christ loves you. And, and what I had to realize is that they have a reality that Jesus wants to put a different reality on top of. And the reality that he is Lord, he is the healer, he is, look, the thoughts that he thinks about them are good and never evil. He has a destiny for them. And so I can do that without dismissing what they've gone through. And this is what God did for me, you know, because I, I'm, 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 I'm stubborn. I'm one of, I'm a man. I'm not Jesus, you know, Jesus. And so he said, Tim, remember when your mom died? And, you know, he always, he always, when he goes there with me, it's like, okay, he's right. He's getting ready to teach me a good lesson. He said, remember when you were standing up front and, and, and they were doing the parting view and you were standing next to her body and, and, and you were hurting on the inside. This was your reality. Your mom had passed away. And do you remember what happened? He said, remember an elder from the denomination you grew up in came and stood next to you? And I said, okay, yeah, I remember that. And, and remember what he said? He, this is what he said to me. He says, that ain't your mama. And, and arthritis started setting in in my hand. It just started clenching, you know, just right in front of the church. I was getting ready to just let him have it. You know? And I had to let him know, no, that is my mom. She, he was trying to tell me the reality is she has a new body. She's in heaven. She's in, not in pain anymore. But he was dismissing the reality that that's my mom, though. He was trying to make me turn my back on the reality that my mom was laying there and just focusing on the reality that she's in heaven. And I wasn't ready for that yet. I, 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 I'm saved. I love Lord. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. But I'm not ready to deal with the fact that this is not a reality. No, this is a reality. And I know that he's there, but I mean, they're having a good time. Today. Let's just go, man. Come on. Come on. And we're about to get, we're going to do a praise break in about five minutes to let them know we here too. We here too. Come on, somebody. <laughs> so I wasn't ready to deal with. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. That's great. That's great. Oh. Oh man, a war of praise going on here. Huh? That's great. So, so the reality was, is I wasn't ready to deal with it. And God had to soften my heart by taking me there, by going, Tim, that was a reality, but there was a different reality. And until I gave you the grace to place the new reality of your mom 
And I took you, Tim, I took you by the hand and I walked you through that. And then you were able to place the new reality that she's with me and, and she's dancing and, and she had both her legs again. But you, I took you through that process to place the reality that she's no longer here. And that changed how I dealt with individuals when I'm teaching the gospel. And so I, I realized that, yes, there, there are resources out there. I started teaching differently. I started, my wife called it being trauma-informed sermons. And when she first said that, I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing all that. I'm, doing, I'm teaching Jesus. <laughs> but she was like, I need more pastors to be trauma-informed and stop triggering people from the pulpit. And I was like, how are we triggering people from the pulpit? Because you say things that, that, are, that are, you don't mean to be harsh, but you're not mindful that they are harsh. And just like you stood up there and you clenched your fish and you wanted to hit an elder because he was saying that ain't your mom, how many people in the audience clenching on the inside and, 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 and doing one of these numbers because we're saying things with an intention to help somebody be whole, but maybe we're punching more holes in them. And so I had to learn that. We started talking about it more. I started opening my, I'm not, I, maybe I'm not, I'm not all 100% there, but I'm on the journey to get there. I'm, I'm, and, and, I, and I'm saying that because I don't want you to think you're going to leave here and you're going to be like, yes, I, I'm, I'm there and I'm ready to do it. No, you're going to leave here and hopefully have the heart to go. I want to learn more. Let me reach out to individuals that can help me understand more because I'm going to tell you there are people in your church that are not being honest with the reality that they're going through because they're afraid. They're afraid. We, we've done a great job of teaching people how to be hypocrites. We teach them how to praise. We teach them how to sing songs. I think Kirk Franklin said it. He said, he said, you taught me how to preach. It taught me how to sing. I knew how to speak in tongues. But when it all was done, I was going through what I was going through. And nobody knew about it. And I know that feeling to come and have your suit on or, have, you know, and, and do this number and praise God. And nobody knows what you're going through. And I know what that feels like for years after my mom died. I was functionally depressed. I didn't tell nobody. But because I showed up to church, I was praising God. I was worshiping. I was teaching the word of God. Everybody thought I was fine. But I was not fine. I was not okay on the inside because I wasn't letting Jesus take me by the hand. So his reality can be placed over the reality that I was going through. And nobody was there to help me. Nobody was there to help me. So as pastors, I said to myself, we got to be that help. We have to be the light that's shining and showing people where Jesus is. He is a healer. He is a deliverer. He does have a reality of, like I said, beauty for their ashes. He does have joy for their sorrow and, and praise for their heaviness, but it does not. Look what the statement says there in Isaiah. See, look, the Bible says there is heaviness. So let me give you praise for it. There is sorrow. So let me give you joy for it. There is ashes and, you know, ashes, ashes. You try to start cleaning up ashes and it gets messy if you don't have the right tools. 
And I was realizing I was making a mess trying to sweep up ashes just by saying Jesus. But when you get the resources and the tools and put people in place that can help further, this is our job as pastors, furthering the gospel. And if I can have people around me and resources around me, as a director of of an organization called Renaissance, one of the things that we do well that I've been bringing into the churches, we partner with agencies good. We make sure that we do what we do. We stay in our lane and we partner with other agencies that do things well. And we're never afraid. We're never like um, um, they may um, take our members. One thing as pastors, we got to get over that. Come on, say it again. Come on now. All right. They're not ours. And I think we got to get past that mindset of they're mine. They're mine. No, they're the Lord's. And he's given us an awesome test. And that doesn't remove the fact that we're supposed to protect what God has given us. But we can't be with the mindset of is what's the name of your church? All right. I'm an Air Force brat born in Turkey, so there you go, man. I I know. I can't be thinking that the United States Air Force Foursquare Church is going to take members from New Hope. Because at the end of the day, if their resources are better, they should be over there. And I've done my job. God gave me an assignment to walk them to the USAF Foursquare Church and hand them off. Because that's what it's about. Because our job is to further the gospel, not to hoard it and not to say it's ours. All right. So I leave you with this note so we can get into some good questions and answers. I mean, the resources are here from um, Nita, from Vanessa, from Sue. Is it Sue right in the back? I heard your name. There's so many different resources here. And as pastors, the greatest thing I, I was encouraging them. I'm I'm sort of mad at them. I said, you need to have a resource table in the back that has all of your resources on it. And I believe every service should have, every church service should have in your lobby resources. Man, we sell cupcakes and coffees and CDs of sermons, but what resources are we having available for people to leave there and say, I got the gospel. I know there's a reality that Jesus Christ can heal me, but, but while I'm going through it, here's some things. And, and I close with this. I tell people this at the men's camp. I said this, that everybody talks about Lazarus coming out of the grave. That's what we preach. He showed up out the grave. But the scripture says this. He who was dead showed up still in his grave clothes. Everybody wants to talk about he showed up out the grave and said, oh, man, Jesus raised him from the dead. But notice what happened. He shows up out of the grave. And then what Jesus said was powerful. He says to the men that were around, go help him take off his grave clothes. Go remove the handkerchief off of his. Jesus was the word. But then he commissioned others to go and remove the grave clothes and remove the handkerchief. And you know, that all happened after Jesus called Lazarus forth. And I said to to the men at the camp, I said this, 
Nobody was there during the process of, of Lazarus coming forth. Think about it. Many people are showing up to our churches. They're restricted. They're wrapped up in their pain and in their sorrow, in their rapes, in their exploitations, in the lies that they've been told. They, they come restricted and they come blinded and they got to come by themselves. Lazarus, nobody went into the grave down the steps to get Lazarus. He somehow in his restricted state had to get to his feet and hop up several steps. We got a picture of his tomb um, that someone went to Israel and, and, and Jerusalem and, and sent to us. And it was the, it, they got handrails in there now. And I'm like, but he had to hop up all these steps. And I said, he had to fall back a few times. I fall back walking up steps. So he had to do this by himself. Did he hit his head? Did he hit his arm? What happened? And when he came forth, Jesus said, loose him and let him go. When people show up to our churches, we don't know what it took for them to get there. I watched that video and they were crying and they were scared. And we don't know the courage. And I don't want to be the one that becomes another one that exploits them by using what is supposed to be the good news of Jesus Christ to further hurt them. I got to recognize it was courage to walk through them doors. It's courage for them to come up to the altar. It's courage for them to lift their hands and say, yes, I want Jesus. It's courage. And I don't want to demean that by just saying, Jesus, I want to say what you went through wasn't his plan. He wants to show you a new plan. Can I, sh can I introduce you to Nita and not be afraid that Nita's going to take her over to another church? Because at the end of the day, it's about furthering the gospel. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I'm going to bring it back. My wife back up. Yes. I'm sorry this was on you, honey, the whole time. Light. Light. Okay. So I was, was going to turn it off just because I want to have a little bit of uh, uh, panel discussion, but I wanted to share with you something that just as, as uh, my husband was talking, uh, some, an, a couple aha moments. So I wrote a book um, called Fight for Love, and it, it's a 12-step recovery book for survivors of domestic violence, abuse, and human trafficking. And um, I wrote this um, actually being nudged, but I had no intentions of writing it, but I was a Celebrate Recovery leader, and um, I was nudged to do a book because there were no books for survivors of human trafficking to go through the 12 steps. And when I went through the 12 steps, having been a survivor of sexual abuse and variety, every, pretty much every abuse that there is aside of being trafficked, um, I noticed that some of the process could be very triggering to me. And so that's when I decided to write this with a mindset for someone who had been abused. Well, so recently we just took 15 of our women from the church through this process. About half of them were survivors and the other half were survivors of abuse and domestic violence. The aha moment was that the ones that were not survivors or said they were not survivors of human trafficking, three of them later realized that they were. 
And so I think you will realize as you go on this journey that any, any exchange of a, a lollipop, a Tootsie Roll, in exchange for sexual favors is exploitation. And it does something to a person. And so they identified with, the, uh, with being trafficked. They remember times where they were given things as a child and asked to do sexual favors for somebody in the neighborhood. They remembered those experiences and said, wow, I have much more in common with the survivors than I realized that I did. And now they're on the journey and actually having some of the memories are coming back to them of things that they had experienced. But as my husband said, there's a safe place for them to do that and safe people for them to come and have that experience with while in the confines, while in the support of their church. So I just wanted to mention that. Also wanted to mention that resource-wise, um, there was a paper here. Ah, there it is. Um, Resource-wise, we've prepared a um, some thumb drives for you. And on here, these are for the um, Anti-Human Trafficking Affinity Network thumb drives. And they have resources from organizations uh, throughout the community, a contact list, a list of websites and books and films and YouTube videos that you can use to educate yourself, um, working with children who are victims or at risk, um, some, uh, a manual on how to work with children and victims, and then a, a, some toolkits, and again, some more websites. So before you leave, please do get one of these from us. Um, and it has a, a variety of, of information for you. So what I'm going to do is offer up, um, ask Nita and uh, and Tim to uh, Pastor Tim to come and join me up here. We're going to ask some questions, and then we're going to open it up for Q and A uh, with all of you. Um, so I just wanted to start off by um, asking a question about um, a case of restoration that you actually um, observed. Um, and I'm going to start off with uh, Nita, who can share a little bit about a, a situation where someone was restored from human trafficking. Thank you. I am going to actually twist that a little bit because um, you all pray, right? Okay. So I'm going to ask you to pray for a friend of mine right now that they are in Chattanooga looking for her. And I'll tell you her story, and then, and then I'm going to ask us all to pray for her. Um, Several years ago, I met online a gal I call Treasured Hope because that's the name she was going by at that time. Um, she had first been trafficked at three years old by her mother uh, who was selling her for drugs. She went through um, satanic ritualistic abuse. It's called SRA. How many have heard of SRA? Okay. Uh, not good, but good. At least you're informed. So she is a, a survivor of SRA for many years. She, um, she, I've put her in two different programs over the years, and um, she gets better for a while, and then she has struggles. So about a month and a half ago, she disappeared off the face of the earth, and those of us who know her knew she was struggling, and she is currently missing in Chattanooga. I got a hold of uh, Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, uh, somebody I know down there, a couple days ago, and he connected me with somebody who would go look for her. So they are looking for Treasured Hope right now. Can we pray for her? Yes. 
Yeah, right. Jesus, Jesus, we just call on you for, um, for our girl. I pray right now for Treasured Hope that she would be found by Jeff and by you. Lord, that you would empower that investigator that's looking for her to find her. Lord, uncover the stones, uncover the places where she may be hidden. And Lord, I pray that you would um, help her to be found. And I pray, Lord, that um, when she is found, that she will reach out to those of us that she knows and trusts and that we can get her in another program, get her in another place that she uh, she can be free, she can be healthy. We just, right now, we cast off the enemy off of her in Jesus' name, and we release hope, we release freedom to treasured hope. We release life to her. Lord God, I pray right now you'd breathe that into her in Jesus' name. Help Jeff to find her today. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, that, all that to say that there is a, um, there's a cycle that survivors, and, and I call them survivors because people that I know that have been trafficked said, I'm a survivor if I'm alive today. You don't know what's going to happen when you close the door of that hotel room. Um, and so um, there's a cycle, and I can tell you stories of others that uh, I can tell you real quick. Sarah, who is uh, works with our organization a lot, she her dad was police captain, her mom was real estate investor. She was trafficked for four years. Um, they didn't believe her. They thought she'd just gone down wrong road, and um, she's had a long road coming back. But she now is alive and married and has three children. One of them was uh, via being trafficked, but she's alive and well, does a lot of speaking for us. And, and I'm not going to lie, there's still struggles. There's always struggles. But um, it's possible they recover, and every single one of them is precious. It's worth it for one. I, I get to see it on a regular basis. Um, I think you know, my wife mentioned it earlier. We have individuals that uh, have come through the program, lived in our safe house, and then uh, have went through workforce development and been through some banking um, um, sessions to learn how to be a teller, um, learning how to um, work in a retail environment, learning how to work in IT. So to hear one of the uh, individuals that have come through the program now is an IT specialist at Cisco, uh, network engineer, that's huge. I love that. To, yeah, we have, we are employing some at our church. Um, that, and we're not just, the one thing I think that we don't do is just employ because we need to employ. We employ because that's their that's their skill set and they're good at it. And the the young lady that is part of our maintenance team, she's the best. I mean, she cleans in a way that's just you know you walk in that room, you don't have to sit down, and you just feel clean. You know, she's just good. Um, the young lady that is running um, our pro presenter program and our ABL department, she's good. You know, she picked it up like that. She went home and studied it, and now she's also top of the class in our network engineering class, the Cisco Academy class. So I've seen it. I, I get to see it on a regular basis. My wife told me the other day 60 women and have gone through our church, 
from the safe house out of the hundred plus that she has served. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, no, ain't no, come on. No, no, I, I, come on. I pastor. I know how to people. I know how to touch people. But to say 60, I don't, I, I, I didn't know that. I could name a handful. So they're showing up. They're being a part of our church. And we don't even know them. We know them just as regular individuals coming to church and praising God. Uh, and, I, and I'm glad that our environment is that way where we're, we know of some successes, but we don't know of a lot of them because they're being healed right within the, the, the natural program that we do of serving Jesus Christ and worshiping him. So. And I'll just comment that um, the, for me, uh, being able to see like I, the one of the young ladies that um, cleans our church that we were, that my husband was just talking about um, when she came to us, uh, she had been addicted to heroin for 18 years. She had one tooth. One. She was so sick. She was about 95 pounds wet. I mean, she was walking death. She literally would have died within a couple weeks because she had some major health issues. Um, and to, to see her now, a year and a half later, her kids, and she and her kids spent Mother's Day together. She has a full dentures, but full mouth, mouth of, of teeth. She smiles when before she had to cover her mouth the whole time, she was a, 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 you know, afraid to show her mouth. And that's huge for her. That may, I, that brought me to tears when she got her, when she was able to smile. And she's, you know, complains about having a fonsa, a little stomach on her. She's, she complains. I said, girl, that's a good way. That's good way. <laughs> but, you know, just that she's been eating healthy. She's sleeping. She has her room decorated with flowers and purple and pink and sparkles and glitter. She wears glitter on her eyes, eyeshadow. She does her hair so beautifully. And for me, I just, I always say, you know, if it wasn't for my husband and my kids, I, I'd just go home and be with the Lord now because that, that just makes my heart go pitter-patter just to know that she can sleep and eat and live. Amen? So, all right. So what I want to do is let me do a quick time check. Where are we at? Okay, good. Um, questions from you all. Yes. dangerous to give a pastor a microphone. So, well, first I do want to say that it's also boys, and I, I don't want anybody who isn't aware of what's happening in the world today to not think that this happens to men too. So my ex-boss called me and asked me um, if, he, if I knew of anything for deprogramming. And so one of his new employees, her daughter, was um, taken and taken into a cult also. And so the trafficking aspect of that was there. And so where are the resources where I can find places to refer people to things that I can't manage or that, you know, like where the deprogramming for people who are brought into trafficking and cult type mentalities? So um, I'll, I'll take a stab at it and then I'll pass it around. Um, so um, the 12 step uh, book that I wrote is absolutely a part of that journey, um, it's, I would say that you really need to have a praying pastor that walks them through that. Oh, they're Islamic. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, even there, I would say um, if they're Islamic um, and you used that as a guideline, but you didn't necessarily give them the book, but you used that as a guideline to guide you through those 12 steps, which are universal, and there are testimonies in there that don't say, you know, you know, you must profess Jesus is Lord in there. They're just testimonies from survivors that they could read. Also, Need has written a couple of books. There's a ton of books that are on this resource uh, list that uh, the, this thumb drive we're going to give you. So that books could be a, a methodology. Uh, Celebrate Recovery, um, you know, uh, uh, is a is a great forum that's available all over the you know all globally, and then um, and then there's there's a lot of other things that you can look at, you know again on the clinical side, doing ACE assessments, you know adverse childhood experiences. ACE is an acronym. Uh, looking at assessments and some of the ways in which people process through mental health issues, um, because at the end of the day, p the people that are um, experiencing these things, they're coming away with PTSD, they're coming away post-traumatic stress disorder, they're coming away with bipolar, with schizophrenia, with, uh, with all kinds of uh, depression, high blood pressure, it manifests in, uh, you know, so many different health issues manifest. And so um, approaching it from the variety, it's, it has to be a multifaceted response um, you know, you can't just be dealing with the spirit man while the, the physical man is 400 pounds and has diabetes and high blood pressure and is getting ready to die any minute because of that, right? You got to do multiple things. So that's, that, that would be my response. Hi. Um, uh, what I would say first is that no two cases are the same. No two people are going to receive exactly the same healing in their same way. Um, I come from a background of domestic violence, so I am huge on letting people tell me what works for them and not making decisions for them because sometimes when people are coming out of domestic violence, DV or HT, human trafficking, uh, when people are coming out of those, all the decisions have been made for them. So we want to be careful um, if I get to talk to Treasure and Hope this afternoon, which would be my huge excitement, uh, but I'm not going to tell her, "Hun, I've got I've got a program for you." I'm going to say, "How are you feeling? Are, what are, What are you wanting? Tell Tell me what's inside you." And so I think that that's really important that we look to where that person is, that we also understand that they're going to take two steps forward and one step back one step forward and three steps back and and that you know it just is a time so to take the brainwashing out is a process over years and many different from my experience many different people walking with them and uh, I know that Vanessa and Tim do this too but it's super important to get a bunch of people around we don't want to uh, own these survivors, we want to surround them with a bunch of people because no one person can take care of somebody coming out of this kind of trauma. But um, I would also refer you to Polaris Project. It's on, it's on the, um, sorry, I thought I turned my phone off. 
And that is, I'm so tempted to answer because I know who it is. It's Jeff. Hello? Hello? This is the alert system with Visa MasterCard. <laughs> Sorry, folks. I got all excited. We got all excited. It's not Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I think it's really important to respect who they are, to let them fall. It's like having kids. You know, you let them sometimes make mistakes, uh, but always letting them know that you're beside them. And, um, it, and sometimes you pull back. Sometimes you go forward. Uh, with her, I, I, I was able to tell Jeff, you tell her Nita Bells is looking for her. She'll be okay. She knows I'll help her. She, she won't have a problem. And I was able to say that because I've learned that going forward, stepping back. And not that I've done it all right because I've made lots of mistakes, but really allowing them to make their own choices, I think, is the most important thing. Yeah, today, if you go to the Foursquare um, uh, page, it just says Affinity Network, Anti-Human Trafficking, but none of the, re you know, none of the organizations that work in that space are listed there, probably because it's a challenge to maintain, but I think that's a good challenge. We can go back and take that to Sue, and, uh, and do, would you guys use that if we posted those resources? Okay, great, cool. Um, any other questions? Yes. Um, my question is for Pastor Tim specifically. Um, a lot of trafficking and even um, abuse victims, um, they were victimized by men. And so, not all, but a lot. And so, uh, when it comes to pastoring um, as a man, how, what are some practical do's and don'ts for interacting with victims that won't be triggering and that can but can still communicate compassion, love, and restoration um, and, and the love of Jesus without pushing them over the edge. I just wanted to, uh, uh, one thing I remembered um, that got me talking with my husband about this whole trauma-informed church and trauma-informed sermons, um, it was a story uh, that where... Um, it talked about Abram and um, Abraham and uh, Sarah, and um, and how Sarah was forced to sleep with this, you know, these kings, right, to save the, the save their family. And I remember somebody preaching on that, and they kind of just passed over it, kind of like, and Abram just went through, and and he, you know, he did what he had to do, and and he brought him into this new place. And I thought, and I was sitting there, and I knew the story. And I was pretty early in my walk, and I'm a survivor of sexual, you know, of, of rape, childhood rape. And I, I thought, oh my gosh, like, it, she didn't even matter that she had to sleep with that king. Nobody stopped to acknowledge her feelings in this process. And so I felt very invalidated. 
And I actually went and talked to the pastor about it. And the pastor was like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it that way, blah, blah, blah. But it it wasn't to accuse him or anything like that. But it was just so he could open up the conversation and say, you know, like Abram had all these hard things that he went through. And then Sarah, she slept with the king. And then she thought she was going to have to sleep with the second one. But he got boils. But she was really willing to lay herself down and maybe not willing. We don't know what kind of conversations they were having. These are the circumstances with which many of our people are being exploited to save their families, to save their children, to save their marriages, or so, it, or so it's couched that way. And so it, it, I think the more real we can see where there's these parallels between these stories and the word and the, what's really happening out there, and we can be sensitive to it as we're preaching from the pulpit and just take a moment to note there's someone else here in this story and that someone else does matter and they have a voice in this and they're important to the Lord. It's really important. Other questions? Yes. Actually, mine's more a comment to um, what you were asking. Um, my husband and I pastor, and we had a woman call us, and she called the office, and she happened to reach Jim, and um, she said, this is a weird question, but do you scream when you preach? And he's not a screamer, but she said, I can't go to a church where the pastor routinely screams because she said it triggers me so much and she typically went to churches where there were women pastors because that made her feel safer but it was interesting we became very dear friends and later on as time went by she told me she said my husband would scream at me all the time so she said any kind of screaming just kind of still sets me off she's you know she said I feel like I'm healing but not there yet Uh, I just want to know what kind of partnership do you have with law enforcement over uh, with any legal organizations such as either private lawyers because I know or I have at least uh, some information of organizations, forceful organizations overseas like Compassion First that deals with the issues of the, the human trafficking but specifically the sexual trafficking that is happening where even the government employees are the ones using those little girls and the corruption is so great that it is hard to find justice. So, but when we speak about domestic uh, human trafficking, I don't know if we're falling into the same situation as overseas. How are we handling that? So I'll just comment real quick. And then Nita has a lot of insight into this with Super Bowl, but just really quick. So we partner with FBI, the CIA, uh, lo- local law enforcement uh, throughout California, and w- I'm very careful. I don't even give law enforcement the address of our safe house 
they have to sign a confidentiality agreement. And sometimes they get upset about that. And then I remind them there was a case in Oakland where there were multiple uh, police officers that were exploiting a child. There was another case, a, a sheriff office, a sheriff in Alameda County where he was exploiting uh, another girl. Um, and there, and, and goes on and on and on politicians, mayors, uh, team owners, we're not going to say any more names. There's a ton of this happening. And so we just, um, and, and by the way, so one of the things that we've done is we've rescued over a, a hundred women and children with the partnership of off-duty officers and private investigators over the last, uh, last eight years. And as we've done those rescue operations, we've looked at the email accounts of some of the girls that are being emailed. They're being emailed by CEOs of companies. I have their email addresses. I don't pursue that because I'm really more focused, victim focused, and I'm not really about like putting people in jail. There's a lot of people that are about putting people in jail. Um, that could compromise the care that I provide for the people, so I kind of stay a little bit away from that. But you'd be surprised how many people and just everyday people are involved in this. And so, you know, what I try to do in that situation is just use discernment, pray, and keep my community small, quite frankly. I don't want to work with everybody. I want to work with those few chosen few that have shown themselves to be the real deal. I'm going to be quick because I think we're, we've got four minutes. Yeah. Um, I would say with sadness in my heart, I don't know a survivor in the United States, and I only work in the United States. That's our focus, not that the other places aren't just as important, but that's our focus. That's where we're called. I don't know a survivor who hasn't had to go in the back of a squad car and pay. So, and, and when I say pay, I mean pay with her body so that she could be cut loose. Um, and that is common practice in more areas than we'd like to know. Um, hopefully, the, you know, we just, this is an early battle. This is a... Until the year 2000, human trafficking wasn't even a crime in the state, in the Oregon state, in the United States. I can say it here. Um, we had the Trafficking Victims Protection Act that happened then, and now we have a crime in every state. Every state has laws, uh, but our law enforcement are not trained. Uh, and like Vanessa, I work with law enforcement that I know are trained. We have done, we're working on an 11th Super Bowl right now, and we, there are certain law enforcement um, that are uh, going to be the lead agencies, and it doesn't, it, it's not necessarily because they're FBI or um, whoever, it, it matters somebody who's really being trained. These women and, and men have been, and children, have been arrested uh, for the crime that's being committed against them over and over. So they're not, they're not necessarily going to be, um, going to be friendly towards law enforcement. And again, back to the choice, are you wanting to report? It's always their choice. Um, I would like to leave you with a word of hope because the hope is that every single one of you came to this workshop. The hope is that you are all doing something in, in where you live. You're all caring 
or you wouldn't be here. The hope is that uh, when I started doing this almost 15 years ago, people didn't even know what human trafficking is. Uh, but now we've got freedom stickers in all 50 states. That's the hope. And the hope is that when you leave here, you can take what you've learned and what you've contributed. Some of you have contributed this morning, this afternoon. And uh, so let's take that and let's make a commitment to not being quiet. All the traffickers ask of us is one thing, and that is that we not talk about this. That's all they're asking, that we not talk about this. So I'm going to ask you to tell three people what you heard. I'm going to shamelessly plug my book. Uh, I had one before this that was a Christian version. Uh, we can get those to you if you want. They have study questions in the back. These are uh, great for small groups, and this is known as the primer on human trafficking in the United States. And I have, I think I have six books up here, so um, whoever gets to me is going to get, there you go. <laughs> okay, no more. we got to wait until it's over. Um, so, I don't know, Vanessa? Yeah, yeah. what I wanted to do was just, um, first of all, remind you that uh, we have these resource um, um, uh, thumb drives. Actually, if you want to take one and pass it around, that would be really great. Actually, let me just take a few of these on this side. Take one and pass it around. That would be great. Um, and so maybe take one and pass it around. So those are coming back to make sure you have the resources that you need as you go. Um, if you are interested in Nita's book, come and get one. I also have the Fight for Love 12-step study group. And um, we have some business cards and whatnot up here. But I wanted to just end with prayer, if we could. Um, that would be really good. Just seal this with a word of prayer. Um, just, yes? Um, the, 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 the books are listed there. And my book is for sale on Amazon. And there's also an e-book on Amazon as well. Uh, you have yours on there as well. Okay, perfect. So um, that is going to help us all get engaged. Yell out real quick, what's one thing you're going to do when you get home? Tell three people. Tell three people. Who else? Any other ideas? Freedom stickers. Following up on freedom stickers. Translate the book. Okay. Yay. That's cool. Anyone else? Commitments. We're making some commitments here. Intentional preaching. Amen. It's awesome. Last one. Amen. And that's what we're going to pray then. Okay. Awareness with action in our counties. Okay, here we go. So, Lord, thank you again for this time together. We're so grateful, God, that you have come. You've opened our minds to new ways of preaching the word. You've opened our minds to things that we can do, putting stickers in the bathrooms, God. You've opened our minds to how we can advocate for uh, there to be safety for survivors as they come out into our churches, God. You've, you've called us to declare that in our counties that human trafficking will be eradicated, God, because it's not police to you. And so God, I pray that right now that you would equip those that are here with uh, all kinds of uh, vision, vision, vision. God, you would give them vision. 
God, your word says my people perish for lack of vision. There are people that are perishing for lack of vision. So impart your vision to your children today that we might go and be the hands and feet of Christ, that we would not forget who, who we are, what you've taken us from, and where you're sending us. I pray that each one here would be in agreement. We would not just be hearers, but doers. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed. Thank you, guys.